What happened to music that meant something? Like the Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? This is rock and roll! Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to welcome indie rockers Spoon for an interview and a live performance. Plus, we'll review the new albums from hip-hop giant Jay-Z and the first studio release in 28 years from the Eagles. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news. is a song called How Far We've Come from Matchbox 20. Matchbox 20 are a band that has sold 28 million records, Jim. I don't think we could find a better example of an ultra-mainstream band if we tried. Uh, Matchbox 20 has been a pillar of the traditional music industry, <laughs> a music industry that we have been uh, regularly mocking and dissecting. On the weekly opinions. death of the music industry <laughs> yes. story. Matchbox 20, though, remains you know incomprehensible to me. I mean, why? Why these guys? Why these guys, but they keep selling records, and they are a band that is a model for how the modern-day music industry is operating. They've got a new record out called Exile on Mainstream. You can get that particular song. You can get that particular album 11 different ways. Five years ago, the music industry was basically selling its product in one format and one format only, the compact disc. Cassettes were gone. Vinyl was for for collectibles and very particular releases. Exactly. The single was gone, basically. If a consumer wanted to buy music, they had to buy it in this 15, 16 song physical package and pay 15, 16, 17, 18 dollars for it. Right. Even the president of the Recording Industry Association of America, Hillary Rosen, at the time was saying, this is wrong. We are going to kill ourselves if we continue to insist that consumers pay for essentially a 64-ounce bottle of Coke every time they want music. We need to offer it to them in various... We need to offer them a 12-ounce can, if that's what they want. We need to offer them the the 20-ounce portion. We're not doing that. Now the industry has flipped the other way. It is offering music in 11 different formats. For example... Well, so yeah, there's a CD of Matchbox 20. What else? You've got the rubber bracelet, which uh, doubles as a USB device. You plug it into your computer, you get 17 Matchbox 20 songs, you get audio, you get video, you get interviews with the band, you get liner notes, you get artwork for 35 bucks. Wow. You can go to iTunes and get various versions of the record on iTunes, depending on how much money you want to pay. You can go to VH1.com and get a streaming version of the record. You can uh, get on your mobile phone various versions of this record with live audio and streaming video. And you can go to the store and pick up a CD in addition to that. <laughs> so 11 different ways you can get the Matchbox 20 record. What the modern-day music industry is turning into is a, uh, a marketing machine. It's, it's essentially, let's get this on as many platforms as we can. The single CD ain't working anymore. We've got to spread it out and get it to consumers as, as many different ways as possible. Unfortunately, all of those ways features Rob Thomas and Matchbox 20. <laughs> Uh, clearly, Greg, what people do want is Radiohead. We've been talking about them releasing their new album on their website, and 
People are paying what they feel it's worth. There were a couple of stories last week. There was a lot of coverage about an outside company speculating about how many, and it was just speculation, how many people have actually paid for that Radiohead record until Radiohead comes forward and gives us the numbers, which they have so far not done. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We don't know how many people have bought that Radiohead record. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because the physical Radiohead record is going to come out on December 10th, the, the new record, In Rainbows, going to be available as a CD, as a vinyl record at that point. In the stores after, and, after weeks of being downloadable. Absolutely. But it's interesting because the record industry still makes a huge living off of its back catalog. And Radiohead's old record company, EMI Capital, is going to re-release basically the entire Radiohead catalog on that same day. You gotta wonder. <laughs> you gotta wonder what's going on here. It's, There's a little message there, yeah. There's some talk that Radiohead wasn't involved in this decision at all. That it's their old label basically getting back at them for leaving the label and releasing all this product on the same day that Radiohead is trying to release its new record. Nonetheless, we have a seven CD box set coming out on December 10th of all of the old Radiohead records. That's going to retail for about 80 bucks. In addition, you've got the seven-album digital download, which is going to go out for 70 bucks, and then the seven-album USB stick, which gives you all sorts of extra features. That's going for $160. Do they have a bracelet on their USB stick? It, no, but you've got the Radiohead Bear, which apparently oh. is a hugely you know, uh, popular item among Radiohead fans. <laughs> so it's interesting to see that the record industry is still hoping to make some money off its back catalog, and now repackaging back catalog as a digital downloads and hoping to make a killing selling old music once again much in the same way as they did with the CD when the CD forced people to buy their catalog again. People had the record on vinyl. Now they're going to buy it on CD. Now the record industry is hoping they're going to want it as a digital download. Or the way people have bought the Eagles 15 times in different formats. We're going to talk about their new album in a minute. First, we have to have some remark about this thing. Greg, that is a new recording of Anarchy in the UK by what passes for the Sex Pistols in 2007. It's available on the soundtrack of Guitar Hero 3, this new video game, a new version of that video game that's been a phenomenal success. These are interesting numbers because of what they say about the music industry. In seven days, first seven days that it was available for sale, Guitar Hero 3, the new version of that game where people you know, stand there with a plastic guitar and mimic guitar solos done by their heroes on the screen has raked in a hundred million dollars. hundred million dollars in seven days. Now granted, it's selling for about five, six, seven, eight times more than a CD would, but that's a lot of cash generated. And in fact, in, in 06, 12.5 billion was the amount of uh, money made by the video game industry, while the record industry was down to $12 billion and sinking fast. Mm-hmm. So now you're having this point in time where video games are outselling music. It's an interesting thing. Of course, a lot of artists are giving their music to this silly game with the notion of, of 
people discovering it for the first time as they play air guitar, basically, right? You know, you got the Rolling Stones putting Painted Black on this new version, the Smashing Pumpkins with Cherub Rock, Weezer's My Name is Jonas. These are bands that, uh, with the exception of the Stones, have previously kind of been very guarded about their music. They seem to like Guitar Hero. Personally, I, you know, what a stupid thing to do with your time. You know, why don't you buy a real guitar and learn how to play it? What are you going to, like, stand there and, and mimic what's going on, on on the screen? I don't get it, but somebody does. Well, it's interesting, Jim. Who does get it? Uh, the average age of a video game user in America today is 33. They've been playing video games for 12 years. So the industry is arguing that peer-to-peer file sharing is killing its industry. These statistics argue that, in fact, the video game industry is what's killing the CD industry right now. Like a bluebird with his heart removed, lonely as a train. I've run just as far as I can run. If I never see the good old days shining in the sun, I'll be doing fine and then some. There's no mistaking those harmonies or that peaceful, easy feeling (laughs) you get from that sound. That is the Eagles. The new song is called uh, How Long. I think it's the first single from their first album in 28 years, The Long Road Out of Eden. That's astounding. The Long Run in 1979 was the last official Eagles studio album. Now, they have been on the cultural radar in a big way over the last decade because of the uh, the infamous top dollar reunion tours, the ones that first broke that $100 barrier and tickets went way up after that. And also just because of the influence they have on mainstream country. I mean, they're, they're huge. They're the predominant force today among all the hat acts that are played on country radio. They were never really a country band in their time. They were a country rock merger and the prime purveyors of that California sound. But now it is the sound of modern country. We're going to talk about our opinions about this record. It's a, it's a sprawling double album, 20 songs, quite painful to make by all accounts. The Eagles are at each other's throats again. They say we'll probably never put out another album. This is it. A lot of music coming out, and it's selling well. This is big news this week, Greg. 700,000 albums sold wow. in one week. The reason it's big news is because it's only available at Walmart. <laughs> you know, they went to the big box retailer and uh, gave them the album exclusively. They're also selling it through their website, but the primary force here is Walmart. Um, Walmart was not counted originally by Nielsen SoundScan. I'm not sure if they weren't monitoring what was sold in the stores or what the deal was, but the Billboard charts are based on Nielsen SoundScan for the last uh, decade and a half, right, which measured at the point of sale every CD sold. So there's no way to rig the charts. An album that was number one with half a million copies sold, each one of those half a million was counted at a cash register somewhere in America. Mm -hmm. It was going to be that this week Britney Spears was going to debut with number one with a paltry 290,000 records sold on her first week. 
overnight, Billboard decided to change the charts. They had not been reflecting uh, single retail deals before. You know, so when Paul McCartney gave his CD to Starbucks, they weren't going to count that. They were thinking that isn't fair. The record retailers of America despise this, mm-hmm. needless to say. The mom and pop record stores, the ones that are left, hate the idea of you only being able to buy a record at a coffee shop or at a big box retailer. They were against the move on the charts, but the, the night before the charts came out, instead of Britney Spears being at number one, just based on the numbers, rightly so, the Eagles, the long road out of Eden was up there with 700,000 sold. So the Eagles clearly way past their prime, 25, 30 years past their prime, have rewritten the music industry this week. Let's uh, play some of this music and then we'll dive into are the sounds themselves worthy of what's going on here with the sales. This is a song called Frail Grasp on the Big Picture. It's one of the Don Henley songs. I believe it's uh, one of the centerpieces on disc two. As I said, this is a sprawling double album. Here it is on Sound Opinion. Well, ain't it a shame that our short little memory never seemed to learn the lessons of history. Keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And then you wonder why we're in the shape we're in. Good old boys down at the bar, peanuts and politics. They think they know it all. They don't know much of nothing. Even if one of them was to read a newspaper cover to cover. grasp on the big picture from the new Eagles album, Long Road Out of Eden. As you said, Jim, remarkable business story here, selling 700,000 copies of a record at a single retailer. Really smart move on the part of the Eagles, I think. <laughs> well, and it, and it's the number one rock-selling album of the year so far. And in fact, the, the second biggest debut in a week, just behind Kanye West at 960,000. These are the kind of numbers we'd see when the record industry was really healthy five, six, <laughs> yeah, seven, eight years back ago. Back when there was a record industry. These were kind of routine numbers. But the, So the Eagles coming back in a big way. Now, what about the music? This album could have been made in 1980. It could have been the follow-up to the long run. I mean, yeah. this, there's nothing about this record that says... 2007, other than the fact that it's the Eagles in 2007, but it might as well have been the Eagles in, in, in 1977. Well, that's, not, that's not fair. There are references to cell phones, SUVs. <laughs> you know, there are some topical, uh, you know, there's some, some hints there that time has passed. The, the core of this group is still intact. Don Henley and Glenn Fry were the primary songwriters in the band. Timothy B. Schmidt on bass gets a couple of vocals here and there, and Joe Walsh, the the lovable goofball in the band, <laughs> they throw him a bone on, on each record. But Twenty she, songs, he gets one. But I'm not sure Joe is all there on this record, you know. And I don't frankly, think he's all there ever. I, I just don't think he's he really fully 
invested himself in this record by yeah. judging by how much he put into it. Also missed on this record is is Don Felder, a really fine guitar player who got in a really ugly, ugly lawsuit with the band over songwriting over the last few years and was booted out of the band as part of that deal. His guitar playing is missed on this record. I think he was one of the secret weapons of the band when it was at its height in the 70s. These guys have always been really craftsmanlike songwriters. There was nothing rock and roll about the Eagles. There was nothing edgy about them. I think their sound, as you said, was really a paradigm for the country pop Nashville sound of the 90s. Uh, there was a tribute album to the Eagles' music in, uh, in the early 90s done by a bunch of country artists. Yeah. That's, that's what this record's all about. It's that country sound. You got two things going on here. Glenn Fry, the aging frat boy, the aging woman chaser of those yeah, uh, yeah, classic yeah. Eagles songs from the 70s has grown up and he's discovered his family and he's discovered the joys of being married and passing the torch to the next generation. He's the most sentimental of the Eagles on this record. Meanwhile, his partner, Don Henley, he's mad at the world. in finger point mode. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there are some howler lyrics from Don Henley. Oh every- my God, there ought to be a drinking game about just every time you come up with a <laughs> dumb lyric by Henley, you take a shot. Because there are, you know, you know he's Mr. Environment, right? You yeah. know, and the whole thing opens up. Up with this uh, pared down acapella number, No More Walks in yeah. the Woods. No more walks in the woods. The trees have all been cut down. And where once they stood, not even a wagon rut appears along the path. We could quote Henley lyrics all day long, as it's you true. said, uh, Jim, and it's it, it's really egregious in terms of how he feels about the world. We really don't want to know, Don, how much you think the world sucks every time you get a chance to point the finger. Well, at especially somebody. not, you know. Look on that song, "Business as Usual." He's actually saying we worship at the marketplace while common sense is going out of style. Walmart's the epitome of that. His father, in fact, owned a mom and pop store that was driven out of business yeah. when the big box department store came into the little town. None of it squares. But you know, beyond. That the problem here is that the peaceful, easy feeling is so peaceful and so easy <laughs> that, that it's somnambulant. This is a very, very sleepy, dreary record. There was more rock on Garth Brooks' one and only album as Chris Gaines, his alter ego, than there is on this entire yeah. Eagles record. And you know, I disagree with you. They did at, at times rock in a very interesting way. Hotel California is one of the most enduringly creepy songs ever written yeah, about, about capturing a certain California decadence. They tried to do a uh, 10 minute epic sequel to it here which is in fact the uh, the title track of this album Long Road Out of Eden and it's just it's horrible. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't have any of that vibe that they captured. Moon shining down through the palms Shadows moving Somebody whispering the twenty third song. Dusty rifle in his trembling hands. I gotta say, on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, this is uh, absolutely a trash it record. Well, not only that, Jim, but it's it's a sprawling record, and the and the Eagles never sprawled very well. I think they were always about those concise three, four minute Single. pop songs, yeah. and that that's what they wrote well, and 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 it's just you know ten minutes. Eagle songs, That's there, there's just something wrong with that. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. why would you need this record? If you want some Eagles, go back and get that first greatest hits record. It's still very much a One a of the best-selling piece. albums of all time. Absolutely. That's what you need. You do not need this record. It's a trash it. 
If you have another opinion about the Eagles or anything else we've said here on Sound Opinions, give us a call at our hotline, 1-888-859-1800, or email interact at soundopinions.org. Coming up from Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we'll sit down with Spoon in the Jim and K Maybe studio for an interview and a live performance. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Greg, one of the albums we were most excited about this year was the sixth release from the Austin, Texas art rockers Spoon. These guys are a long-running indie bubbling under band. I think they are about to break out wide with their sixth album produced by Mike McCarthy and uh, John Bryan. Uh, I know you're a big fan of his. We caught up with them on tour when they were promoting this new, very oddly titled record. We are here in the Jim and K Maybe studio with the Spoon, Britt Daniel, Jimino, Rob Hope, Eric Harvey. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey. Hi. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. So, Spoon, band from Austin, Texas. Jim and uh, Britt formed the band about a dozen years ago, six albums later. You have become one of the most important and influential indie bands in the country. The last record sold 160,000 copies. The new one is on, uh, well on its way to doing at least as well. Ga, 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 ga. Did I get the five oh, gahs correctly? Get this right. I've been wondering ever since yeah. this album came out. Now, is, there, is it ga, 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 ga? Or is it gaga gaga ga? Or it's just gaga gaga ga. Well, you made it very difficult for us, Britt, to to review this album on the radio because you just feel like such an idiot saying gaga gaga ga. Well, just say gaga gaga ga. That sounds more like a machine gun. <laughs> All right, there you go. I, that's it's funny because we never good, once considered it would be an issue. It just was always like gaga gaga ga, ga, to us. That's I knew what it would it looks be an like. issue. Yeah. Well, Eric, why didn't you say something? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, we didn't get. I need that to listen to you more often. <laughs> no. I still think it's a great title, but it's just like, uh, yeah, I never would have once guessed. All right, you've been asked this question a million times, oh, no. Britt, but uh, you have to answer the question, why that title? What, where did that oh, exactly did that come that from? Because uh, that was the working title for the song, The Ghost of You Lingers, which before it had any words, or I guess it still sounds like... The piano. Yeah, the piano does. Sort of that Steve Reich piano.
That is the spoon rhythm, though, and that is the core thing of the band. Is that that kind of jagged gaga? Now it makes sense. Yeah. And so that's what we called this, that song for for the whole time we we're working on it. And we always got a kick out of saying it. So. <laughs> um, then I got all sentimental and renamed that song, and we didn't have a that title wasn't being used anymore, so we had to slap it on the album. There you go. Wouldn't want a good title to go to waste, right? You know, the last time I, I talked to you, Britt, the uh, the last album, you, you said you wanted to make a record where every song was Rock the Casbah. Were you going for a kind of Motown, soul, groovy, especially the songs with the horns? I mean, it's just amazingly. We were on Cherry Bomb, for sure. But we, we actually played that song. It was sort of like a space rock song for a while and just a rock song. And we were just having trouble figuring out a way that we even recorded it with John Bryan as that sort, in that sort of space rock way. And uh, just wasn't totally working so we went so back to the were, drawing board and said let's try it like the Supremes blow out that cherry bomb for me mm, you got to know it's on your sleeve know it's on your sleeve know it's on your sleeve so it was more than just Underdog because there's only one song on the album now that John Bryan yeah we did two with him and uh, the first one was, yeah, we went back and redid it. So, mm, yeah, okay. the underdog made it. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we hear a song? You guys are gonna play. Don't don't make me a target. Yeah, let's play it. So far, I keep on marching along, beating his drum, clubs and sticks and bats and balls for nuclear swift the dialect rolls that come from a parking lot town where nothing lived in the sun. Don't make me a target, don't make me a target. When he reached back in his mind Feels like he's breaking the law There's something back there in God That nobody knows He never claimed to say what he says He smells like the inside of closets of stairs The kind where nobody goes Don't make me a target
Don't Make Me a Target kicks off a great spoon record. Ga, 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 ga. Thanks, guys. Uh, you've been working a long time with uh, Mike McCarthy, and I think there's a spoon sound that you and McCarthy have, have, have come up with. Working with Brian, and I know there was a little break. I mean, McCarthy was busy, uh, and you wanted to work with some other producers. Did Brian bring some different elements to the table, some different things that you were looking for, or were you actively looking for something a little bit different to uh, maybe shake up the what, sound? What did he bring different? <laughs> a smile. A positive attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Brings a smile into the studio. That seersucker suit that he wears. Yeah. 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 You know, creativity. Really nice, yeah. really nice socks. Yeah. <laughs> nice socks. He is a cheery fellow. Or he is. He, he, he's like the exact opposite of Mike McCarthy, who's yeah. a very grumpy fellow. But we love him. We know, we know we can work with him. And when he s- says something, you know, he gives us feedback that's not always positive and we know that he means it (laughs) (laughs) almost never positive it's interesting i would have thought that brian would have been the one to bring the horns to the song and and go for the supreme sound but he recorded the space rock version that's what the song was at that point yeah i gave him a demo that was like that yeah Hmm. now the horns that that's a cool idea and you were saying you wanted sort of a little bit of a soul influence on, on those elements but one of the things i think that's cool about spoon and it's true of this album as well is that rather than adding and orchestrating, uh, you guys take stuff away. I think it's a unique sound because there's a lot of space in your songs and stuff is really stripped down. And I remember having this conversation with Britt a few years ago, and and, uh, you were talking lovingly about Queen's We Will Rock You, Prince's Kiss, ACDC's Back in Black, and you go, what's the common ground between those songs? And they're all very minimal, elemental type of songs. And it seems like that's something that you have always mm -hmm, liked and, and wanted to get in your own records. Yeah, it seems like a a great way to have a sort of classic sounding single is to just, you know, strip the song down to its essentials. But um sometimes the essentials won't won't carry the song, you know. So with songs like that they they came up with that thing, you know, like the stomps and hand claps on We Will Rock You mm-hmm. that just like makes it the song, you know. Well, and, and and I gotta note the use of the tambourine. I think you personally have have resurrected the uh, the career of Davy Jones of the Monkees, who is the <laughs> greatest greatest tambourine player of all time. And but the whole idea about percussion and rhythm in this band is really big. And Jim and you know maybe Eric, you could speak to this whole, whole idea of you know these kind of cool ideas in terms of rhythm and, and and syncopation. And it's very stripped down. You know, it's not like a Keith Moon busy style. It's much more uh, stripped back. But at the same time. There's a groove there. So how did that sort of, uh, was that something that was just, you know... Well, I can't play like Keith Moon. That's one thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, it's sort of like a band thing. It's not just me coming up with these rhythms. We, we go through a lot of arrangements and sort of try to see what works for the song. Mm-hmm. So that we, will there be like busier arrangements and, you know, fuller drumming and... I guess sometimes. We, sometimes, yeah. yeah. Mm. Usually, you know, I, I bring the song in at a somewhat finished state and then we kind of negotiate as a band like lawyers <laughs> <laughs> we bring our lawyers in and we discuss yeah. Jim's people tempo talk is going to be talk to exactly people, right? yeah I have a very weak lawyer though no that's not true now now the last time I interviewed you for the newspaper uh, Britt you told me I, I asked about the, the chemistry with Jim because Jim you're the only member of Spoon from day one right mm-hmm. currently but uh, so I was asking you Britt about the chemistry and you said he's a tough cookie he definitely challenges me he's not afraid to get in my face and tell me that he doesn't like the way something sounds 
So you want somebody to, to give you that? You or? always do. Yeah, good you, to know. you know, just like with the <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you a copy of that. You remind wow. me. Yeah, it's just like a relationship. You don't want a yes man, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't want a yes girlfriend. You want something right. you want a, a little bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. You want to know when when something's working, it's really working, when it's not working, it's not working, you know. And it it's like anyone can bring something like that up and we don't take it personally. Usually. Try not to. Usually not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what do we got next from you guys? What do you, what do you want to play? Rhythm and Soul? Yeah. One, two, three. Come loose a lot. So hung up. Come count them. Waste to forever. Remember... Winter gets cold in ways you always forget And you know mm, Rhythm and soul Get your ankles moving less sockets But there you go Because a man Well you saw him Kazam He just fixing his coat now rhythm and soul mm, Dollars and cents and no accident Not in the name of democracy Come get there, come be there Come let your socks fall down to your shoe And you Rhythm and soul Get your fingers moving Let's hack it Oh, there you go You're cool so mad Well, that's all it is now He's just fixing his coat Oh, no Rhythm and soul When you take a picture And it falls in your lap Oh, no, no Take another picture and you spring in the trap Ah, no, no Ooh, you fit so You can't bat this, it's your right Couches, short legs and square shoulders, pot holders, ekin' soldiers, your tank rollers, you're all over. Yeah, you love the rhythm and the soul. Spoon. <laughs>
is our guest. That was the song Rhythm and Soul. We were just talking about the Motown influence in the band on this album, and I think you can hear it loud and clear there. Up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we continue our conversation with Spoon, and then Jim and I are going to review the newest record from Jay-Z. Back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We'll continue our discussion with indie rock stalwart Spoon. I asked uh, lead singer Britt Daniels about his work on the Will Ferrell movie Stranger Than Fiction. Britt, let me ask you about film. Stranger Than Fiction made extraordinary use of a lot of Spoon's music. Uh, some of which you reworked, right? You know, stripped down and kind of extended instrumentals. Yeah. And how did that come to be? It was a great movie, kind of, kind of like a, a visual equivalent of what Spoon does: minimalist, trippy, you know, futuristic. Uh, well, how did? Well, I guess this the the music supervisor, this guy Brian Reitzel, who used to be in Red Cross, contacted us a few years ago, and and just about like, hey, let's do some. Maybe we should do some music sometime for a movie. And I was like, okay, sure, let's do some music for a movie. But we didn't ever really make a solid plan until this one. And he, I guess he, he had placed a bunch of Spoon songs in it and then came to me and said, why don't we do some instrumental music together to sort of make the whole package of Spoon songs and then some instrumental Brett Daniel music, you know. It really reminded me of Magnolia, mm-hmm. which wound up being as much of a showcase for Amy Mann's songs as as anything else, and and the way that Stranger Than Fiction used the spoon music all throughout. It was, right. you know, did have you found that that's bringing a lot of people to the band who might not have heard it before? Uh, maybe some of my mom's friends. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were impressed. It's hard to say. Yeah. I, I it's hard to say when you know. Every now and then I hear. Um, actually, I heard a lot of people tell me they first saw us at Austin City Limits. That's, that's where I the thing I if I ever hear anything. Well, it's I hard to say. I mean, after what you know, ten or fifteen years of touring and 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 all these albums and uh, you know working so hard and doing stuff like movies and TV appearances, like what led to this album debuting at number ten on Billboard? You know, it's really like everything we've done since yeah. day one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I would imagine there's the the other aspects of it too. Uh, some of that licensing stuff has got to be more lucrative than you know royalties from record sales. I would imagine. I mean, is that a factor at all in, in making a decision to do something like that? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's a factor. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually, if somebody wants to to put a song in a movie or a TV show, I don't. I know that there's been a couple exceptions, but pretty much it's like, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's when uh, it's when somebody wants to use it for a commercial for the U.S. Army that we have a problem. Right. Let's have another song from Spoon. What are we going to play, Brett? Let's do Don't You Ever. This is a cover by uh, this band called The Natural History that we toured with a couple times a few years back. They're, they've now broken up. They recorded this song on an album that didn't come out, and I knew it was a hit. Don't You Sounds Ever good. from Spoon and Sound Opinions. Thank you. 
Don't you ever spelled E V A H, Greg? As uh, we, we were, we're newspaper journalists, we have to get that correct. <laughs> Spoon on sound opinions. Uh, you know, in the CDH, and I think the biggest fallacy of the CDH is that you have 72 minutes of space, therefore you have to fill it up with, with something because people aren't getting their quote-unquote money's worth right. unless you do that. Mm. Right. You've had very much of a different philosophy about that almost from the start, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and I know you write, you're pretty prolific. You guys write songs. There's a lot of songs on the table, but 10 end up making the record. Why, why not put those five nearly words on the record in well, addition. Well, just what, just what you said. I mean, it's got a, to me, it's about the album as a whole is the most important thing that a band does. And so, you know, I want it to be consistently great and not just have some stuff that's, like you said, there because the technology allows you to. We had, we had a couple more songs that were in the running that we could have put on this record in the last minute. We just figured that the 10 was the strongest, uh, you know, 10's a nice... Nice number, and we've got ten fingers. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. Um, and, and Ga has two letters, and there's five Ga's, <laughs> so that's ten. Wow. That's true. Wow. You're blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> we want to thank Spoon for being our guest. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Hey, thank you. It was great. Thanks for having us. I'm going to lead to someone. Take care of me tonight. As I walk into Dorian's, can you see it in my eyes? My boots are on the man. I lay walking home. And when there's hope, my man. Speech. First of all, I want to thank my connect. The most important person with all due respect. Thanks to the duffel bag, the brown paper bag, the Nike shoe box for holding all this cash. Okay. Boys in blue who agreed before the badge. Okay. The first pusher who ever made the stash. Okay. The rock boys in the building tonight. Hey. Oh, what a feeling I'm feeling like. Hey. Thanks to the lanes, to in with bad aim. Thanks to a little change, I tore you off the cane. That is Rock Boys, and the winner is from the new Jay-Z record, American Gangster. You may have heard American Gangster bandied about in the entertainment news the last few weeks. It's a huge, huge movie, of course. Uh, Ridley Scott movie with Denzel Washington starring as a Harlem heroin dealer from the 60s and 70s. Jay-Z did not write the official soundtrack to this movie, but he was inspired by it. He went to see a screening of American Gangster, came out of there, and in a three-week burst of creativity, created this album. Who is Jay-Z? Only the biggest name in hip-hop in the last 10 years, and yeah. possibly the biggest name in hip-hop of all time. In terms of his success on the charts, he's had a string of number one records since the mid-90s. His debut record, Reasonable Doubt, in 1996, put New York City hip-hop back on the map. It was undergoing a crisis of creativity at the time. West Coast hip-hop was predominant, but between Jay-Z's debut and the notorious B.I.G., they put New York City back at the epicenter of hip-hop. Jay-Z has gone on from there to uh, make basically an album a year up until 2003 when he, quote-unquote, retired from the business with the Black Album. That lasted all of about three years. He came back in 2006 with Kingdom Come. A lousy record. Bad we record. hated that record. Bad record, Jim. It was one of those records where Jay-Z appeared to have run out of things to say. But with American Gangster, less than a year later, he comes back with a new record, and it sounds like he's newly inspired. Jim and I are going to talk about that in a second, but let's hear a track from it. It's called Pray on Sound Opinions. Look, my state of a gangster from the 40s. Meet the business mind of Motown. 
Lounsbury Gordy Turned crack rock into a chain of 4040s Sorry, my jury's so gaudy Slid into the party with my new pair of Maury's America meet the gangster Sean Corey Hey, young world, wanna hear a story? Close your eyes and you can pretend you're me A cut from the claw for the Kennedys Frank Sinatra have a dinner with the Genovese This is the genesis of a nemesis America's not witnesses the Harlem Renaissance birth black businesses. This is the tale of lost innocence as the incense burn and the turntables turning at Al Green plays. I see my mother's afro as mama taps her toes as she rolls her J's. And my papa just left the house in search of the killer of my uncle Ray. And she's trying to calm my nerves as I observe this is just one day. And what tomorrow has in store, we can never be sure, so all we can do is pray. Jay-Z, the former Sean Corey Carter, uh, referred to himself there as America's Gangster in a track called Pray. Greg, so big when and if it debuts at number one next week, which looks pretty likely, Jay-Z will be tied with Elvis for the most number one debuts in the history of the Billboard charts, both of them second only to the Beatles. Why is this guy there? Because that voice is so powerful, and that flow and the way he raps is so enticing, and here, I don't think he's ever really been over better grooves. I mean, this is as good as the music backing this guy has ever gotten. Sean Combs had become a laughingstock, a joke. Forget about Diddy. He was... He <laughs> was just like a recurring punchline and here him and you know some helpers from his posse reach deep into the 70s dusty soul closet and i mean really deep rudy love and the love family right mm-hmm. little beaver larry ellis and black hammer these are the songs he's found to provide samples on this record and they're great so was the work by the neptunes no id just blaze who's worked with jay-z forever musically this is a fine fine album this is a great exhilarating joyride musically and then you hit some bumps in the road and those bumps are the lyrics one of the things that I found fascinating not that I'm a movie critic about American Gangster was the fact that it is a parallel look at the corrupting power of American capitalism half of the film is devoted to Denzel Washington's character this Harlem drug dealer who is not bothered by the fact that he's selling drugs that are destroying his own community he gives out turkeys at Thanksgiving and doesn't care that there are drug addicts dying who take his dope. The other half of the film is devoted to the cop who brought him down, Richie Roberts, a a man so ethical he refused a million-dollar bribe and so believed in the American system that he later became the lawyer for the man he devoted his life to putting away. Mm -hmm. There is no hint of that. Jay-Z is stooping to once again mythologizing and glorifying the gangster pose. It's far more ambiguous and difficult than Jay-Z makes it out. He just it's, it's like a kid playing cops and robbers. He claims that this album, he, he's not selling it to iTunes because he wants people to download the entire thing at once. I don't think there's a coherent story. It doesn't hold together. It's just him talking a lot about how cool it is to be a gangster. We've heard it before. It's played out. Lyrically, it's a mess. Musically, it's brilliant. It's a hard one to grade. I disagree, Jim. I think uh, lyrically it's pretty good. I think he's got his act together for the first time in a long time. Glad to hear it. Guy's a great storyteller. I don't want moral lessons from Jay-Z. I just want great stories. You don't feel like you've heard these stories before? Of course I've heard them before. But the detail and the way he puts the stories together is what's, what's compelling about it. He's clearly 
loves this terrain. I think the last great Jay-Z record was The Blueprint in 2001, which was steeped in those black exploitation sounds. And if you recall, was the big coming out party for one Kanye West, yeah. uh, who loves that 70s stuff as well. So those soul samples were swirling through there. So that production puts... Jay-Z in that mind state of his youth, you know, what, what it was like growing up in the rough streets, the mean streets of, of Brooklyn. And I think when he, when he comes back to that space, he's at the top of his game. He's a great, great storyteller. I think there is an arc to this record. I think there is a point at the midpoint of this record where the guy makes it big and he's celebrating. That's that song, Rock Boys, the strutting horns yeah. in there. He's at the t- on top of the world through crime. By the end of the record, he's fallen apart. I mean, there's songs on it called Fallen, and it's about the demise of this guy. Yeah, but he doesn't song, fall quite as far as the guy in American Gangster who actually rats out everybody right. he was in business with. Right, but he's still talking, and even in success, he's talking about how the success has gone stale. The, the excitement has gone out of it. So there are songs at the end which could be read as cautionary. But as I said, I'm not looking for Jay-Z to be telling me how to live my life or, or moralize about life. Leave that to Don Henley, who's doing a very bad yeah. job of it. I just like the fact that the grit is back. I never would have believed that Sean Diddy Combs could have made something that yeah. I would have wanted to listen to in yeah. 2007. And in fact, he's risen to the top of his game with the production on this record. So it's really a comeback by two guys. Jay-Z is back at the top of his game, and, and, and Diddy. Diddy's back. And I, I think this is a buy-it record. I have to say it's a burn-it record. You know, I, I'm not looking for morality tales from Jay-Z. I would like to hear something new along the lines of what the Clips or Ghostface Killer bring to their street tales of drug dealing. I just feel I've heard all this before, and it's not even his own experiences. He's, he's like riffing off the movie. The movie is great art. I'd give that a buy-it. I'd give Jay-Z's record a, a burn-it. Next week, Jim, on Sound Opinions, we're going to do our annual turkey shoot. Records which we had high hopes for. Records that we thought were going to be great and ended up disappointing us. Just in time for Thanksgiving, Greg. And some people we have to thank include Mary Gaffney and Sarah Toulouse, who recorded our session with Spoon. And, of course, our ace production team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, with some help from Dave Mahler, the intern, and uh, executive producer, fearless leader, major domo, Tori Southside Malatia, who I hear does really well on Guitar Hero, but even better on Dance Dance Revolution. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. And I'll get back to you. This is Pat from Olympia, Washington, and I'm calling because I was listening to you talk about how the record industry is sending out letters to college kids threatening to take them to court for peer to peer music sharing. And I just, it's such a classic thing of corporation just not understanding their customers. Don't they know that college kids are their customers? And don't they know that college kids have an almost genetic disposition to think that's never going to happen to me? It's not going to be my problem. And the only people they're dissuading are the people who get the letters and maybe a small circle of their friends. I think the record industry is just shooting themselves in the foot because they don't have any other creative way to deal with the fact that they're collapsing. 
and maybe we're not going to get any more dark side of the moons out of them. But with Alpin Record Industry, we got Tim fight over the counterculture, and I'm psyched about that. Thanks a lot. I love your show. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Rob from Chicago. I just wanted to thank you for turning me on to Cafe de Cuba. I really like the uh, tracks that I heard on the show. It's really interesting to uh, be introduced to uh, not English-speaking music. I uh, studied to be a teacher, and a lot of my students are from Mexico. And this is going to be an interesting little talking point with my future students. This is be another connection because I, I'm already thinking I'm going to love this band. I love those tracks, and I know that it'll be, it'll be real nice to be able to have a musical connection because it is something that speaks to so many of us. So, anyway, I uh, love your show. Thanks very much again. Uh, bye. Yo soy el outsider. Yo soy el stepper. Misfit con causa ya te topado y no tienes igual. Te he visto por ahí. Pateando las reglas. Andando veredas mejor que caminos que andados ya están. Será triste la vida. Hi, Jim and Greg. Uh, my name is Jeff. I live in Chicago. When you played Hope for Happiness, my mind flashed back to this teenage experience listening to this way ahead of its time Jim on my headset. Well, I kept buying soft machine albums during the early 70s. Their magic began to wane in the context of fusion music I was listening to at that time, such as Return to Forever, Miles Davis, Bob Vishnu Orchestra, Tony Williams' Lifetime, and Weather Report. And this fusion soft machine seemed a little bit more like a wannabe of the great fusion sound. But your outstanding interview with Robert Wyatt and his reference to Cecil Taylor, Steve Lacey, Mingus, Ornette, Elvin Jones forced me to examine some of my early listening pleasures and had me digging through my old vinyl collection during the rest of that delightful Saturday. Repeating the listenings to the original Soft Machine and Soft Machine Third reminded me of how wonderful and influential they were in my personal musical evolution. Thanks so much for your great interview, and keep up the good work. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.